Lord Jesus, we do express to you our gratitude this morning. We thank you, Lord, that just as the psalmist prayed to you when he asked that you would keep him safe, that you would be the one in whom he would take refuge, Lord, we come this morning to pray for that same thing with you. Lord, as we have been studying the revelation that you have given to the church, Lord, we have learned much about who you are. We've learned much about what is yet to come, what is happening now. Lord, this morning, though, as we reflect on where your revelation began with your birth, We ask that you would show us yet what is yet to come. Lord, as we consider the church and the world of the future, we pray you'll teach us what the true final peace will be about. Lord, let that peace begin in our hearts as we celebrate this Advent. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your word. We pray that now you will challenge us and change us through it and its presentation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you have your scriptures with you, if you would open them to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. As you're opening them, you will notice that we are not having communion today because we felt that communion would fit better with uh, next week's worship service. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about a recap of the conquering of Christ in chapter 19, and then in chapter 20, uh, a a doctrine that uh, many people uh, feud and fuss over, uh, but but is of great value to the church, and that's the the millennium. That's not mentioned in any other chapter of the Bible. And uh, so we're going to talk about that for a little while, what that means for us. Remember, as I'm talking about these great, uh, extensive passages of Scripture, I'm not really exegeting uh, uh, Scripture, even uh, 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 expositing Scripture. I am giving you kind of a light with which to examine the Scriptures yourself. Always remember, the test is not on the lecture, the test is on the book. And it doesn't matter whether or not you can remember the sermon, it only matters if you can understand the book. So I assume that you're going to read this text yourself, and what I give you is simply some background with which uh, to view the Scripture. Now, when you look at the 19th chapter of Revelation, it looks to be uh, like the same news as you've already read. Here here it is, news of the conquering of Christ, and here's Christ coming again with the armies, and you say, man, we just went through this. I mean, two weeks ago, you preached about Armageddon, and, and we won then. You know, is this another battle? No, I want you to know that many times the Scripture uses uh, the, 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 um, the aspect of recapitulation. Uh, it tells you in a different way what you've already seen. <coughs> you see this every time you watch a football game, and they've got a good play on it. And they, they give you the replay, and then they give you the replay from another angle, and then they give you the replay from another angle. That's recapitulation. And that's what uh, the book of Revelation does in many instances. And so what it's doing is it's telling you from another angle how Christ has won. But I want you to notice something that's very interesting about this battle. It is pictured, the battle sometimes is pictured in military terms. But the battle is also pictured 
in terms of appetite. In here, there is a summary in terms of two suppers. Now, the reason for this is, first of all, that the, 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 the warfare, spiritual warfare, it's not military warfare. For those of you who are looking for a great military uh, battle to, to, to settle this matter of good and evil finally, uh, you will find that there is no battle militarily that settles that. That's a matter of the spirit. It's taken us a long time to learn that, and some people haven't even learned it yet. They're still trying to settle it politically and militarily. However, there is this, this matter of the appetite. And in here, it's mentioned, for example, in uh, verse 7, Let us rejoice and, and give glory to, the, to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And verse 9, it says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I want to tell you the imagery here because I think it's important. In the old days, when a couple became betrothed, they were virtually married at that time. That was a legal uh, uh, arrangement. It wasn't a simple engagement. It was a legal arrangement. At that time, before the actual marriage ceremony, the bridegroom would go away and build a home for them to live in. And he would work on that home. And when that home was done, nobody knew when that would be. The bride didn't know when it would be. But when that home was done, he would come back with a great parade of his friends and he would, he would uh, come and pick up his bride and carry her to that home. Now that could have come in the middle of the night. That's the imagery of the parable of the ten virgins. It could have come in the middle of the night. Whenever the home was done, he came back. So she had to constantly be ready for him. Constantly looking for him. Well, that's the imagery that this is. We're the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And we're waiting for him to build that home for us. You know, John 14 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return, will come unto you, that where I am, there ye may be also. So all of us are just kind of looking. You know, we're the bride of Christ. We're waiting. Okay, you got it ready yet. Here we go. And whenever he comes, there's going to be this great supper. And he's going to provide this heavenly banquet, just like a marriage celebration back then. Well, there's another supper mentioned here. And that's where you're not guests, you're the supper. It says, not you, the the non-believers, it says says in uh, verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds, this is literally vultures, saying to all the vultures which fly in mid-heaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God. And then in verse 21, you find out what that supper is. These armies that go against God, and the rest were killed with a sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now, I want you to notice here, and I won't spend too long on this. I want you to notice that the battle from the very beginning has been the appetite, our appetite. But the appetite having to do with control. You remember from the Garden of Eden how it was Eve and Adam's appetite that got him into trouble. But the appetite was about control. It's very interesting to me that in these days in the United States, we talk more about diet than practically any other subject. And we talk about two, we are alarmed at two things. We're alarmed about weight gain and we're alarmed about anorexia. 
I watched a program, very interesting program, a couple of nights ago on anorexia, just fascinating. It was about this woman who had a ministry, a mission, because her daughter had had anorexia, and she 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 goes to these girls who are who are suffering with anorexia, and she interrupts that process by bombarding them with love and positive messages, because she says. This thing is about negative messages until these girls want to kill themselves. And I guess it happens with boys too. But until they want to kill themselves. I don't know of probably any better parable for what happens to us when we seek to control our own lives than that very thing. Because anorexia is about control. It's about feeling out of control and this is the one thing you can control. And it's about appetite. And it's about receiving the negative messages that are constantly bombarded onto us. Now, who is our enemy? What is his name in Scripture? His name is accuser. His name is murderer. From the very beginning, Satan has tried to get us to control our own lives by negative accusation. He's trying to say, you can't do this thing. You've got to control your life. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. Until, in various ways, we kill ourselves. And you know what we do? We starve to death. We become the supper for ourselves. Unless that process is interrupted by the overflowing, always present message of love and grace. You see, what works in the flesh for people also works in the spirit for God. All of us who would try to control our own lives and would try to to feed ourselves or not feed ourselves will finally end up destroying ourselves. But all of us who will accept the banquet of God will be fed and satisfied. God does that very thing for us. He interrupts our our lives with grace and love and mercy. And when we can feed on that, we'll be be satisfied indeed. Otherwise, if we accept all those negative messages and just try to do everything ourselves, we will destroy ourselves. Okay, let's let's go to the 20th chapter. 20th chapter is one, again, that's very interesting, and I want want to talk talk to you about, read the first couple of verses with me. I saw an angel coming down from heaven having a key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Now, let me uh, uh, put that first slide up, will you, Chris? Let me show you a couple of pictures of this, just so you can get it in your mind. This is a literal uh, 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 taking of the 20th chapter. Um, but focus on this part right down here, will you, Chris? This is, uh, this is the angel with a key and a chain, and this is the serpent, the, dra- the, 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 the Satan, the dragon of old, going down into the abyss. You can see, you can see this little... Uh, this little uh, hole right here, you can see the, the lid <laughs> about to be sealed. This, by the way, is the angel uh, revealing to John the heavenly city. We're going to talk about the heavenly city next week and the week after. 
Um, now, give me the next slide up here. This, that was from our old friend Albrecht Durer. This is, this is from a, a, a Flemish painter, early 1500s, that has some of the same imagery, only has a, 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 some other uh, more complete picture. You see here is the key and the chain, the angel is holding on to it. You see here is the incarceration of the devil um, uh, with the seven heads and so on and so forth. Now, you see here he is loosed at the end of that time, gathering the armies of Gog and Magog at the holy city, at the gates of the holy city. You see the dead that are being loosed from Hades here. This is a representation of Hades. This is the Lord with the sword um, 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 coming out of his mouth to destroy those armies. Um, and this is the book uh, with everyone's name in that book. Um, okay, now, here's what I want to, to share with you about this passage. Don't turn the lights up yet. Uh, let's, keep, let's keep it dim for uh, uh, some more slides. When it talks about the final dispatch of evil, and that's exactly what the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation is about. It's about the final dispatch of evil. We've been fighting this evil thing all along. There are three different views that Christians have about the millennium. Now, first of all, millennium is simply uh, means a thousand years. Show that slide up here. Uh, mil is the uh, is the uh, word for thousand, and enum is is the word for annum or years. So it's simply a thousand years. The question is, according to your view of Scripture, is this a literal? chronological exact thousand years here on earth or is it a symbolic thousand years that is a long period of time that could be any one number of uh, chronological years that's the question with most Christians now let me say before I launch into these three particular views that uh, I want you to know just a few things a most Christians have not talked at length about the millennium at all. I heard somebody say, most Christians are premillennials. No, most Christians have no idea what the millennium is, even is. So after today, you'll be ahead of 80% of the rest of the family, okay? You'll be at least a little bit educated. And I'm just going to give you a little capsule of each of these positions. Secondly, those who hold each of these positions are all evangelical Christians all believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, all believe in the effectual, necessary blood atonement of Christ as payment for their sins as the only way to salvation, all of them believe in the visible, personal second coming of Christ. So there's no argument on that point. All right, On all those basics, there, there is no argument. This is not a camp between Christians and non-Christians who have different, different opinions. So all of what I'm about to say to you is in the camp of Orthodox Christianity. But there are different ways people view this 20th chapter. And as you read it and compare it with the rest of the scriptures, and that's how you need to interpret the 20th chapter or any scripture that only appears once or any image that only appears once, the only way you can understand that is to read it with the rest of the scripture. So, uh, as the Bible must interpret the Bible, let me give you the three, the three uh, ways that, that Christians traditionally have, have, have interpreted the end times. All right? First of all, the pre-millennial. That Christ comes before the actual establishment of paradise or heaven. 
And he comes down here on earth and he reigns for a literal 1,000 years on this earth before the end of time. Now, some characteristics about this particular camp, and, and most people who believe or, or who have been educated as to the end times fall into this camp. Um, there are several authors, if you want to read more about this. Uh, first, the general premillennial. So the best author there is a, is a man named Ladd, L-A-D-D, uh, wrote a book called The Blessed Hope. We have that in the bookstore. Uh, some other uh, of, that, of that camp are dispensationalists. Those, those would be Darby and Schofield and Wolford um, and so on and so forth. Now, some of the... Some of the uh, the characteristics of this of these folks is they generally believe that everything that needs to be fulfilled has has is being fulfilled right now. They've believed this for as long as they've been around, and that Christ is just about to come right now. They read the scripture through current events. They say, Oh, I see that, and this matches this scripture, and so he's coming back now. They also are very pessimistic about the world, you know, generally. World's going to hell in a handbasket. The, 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 the sense is evil is increasing and good is diminishing. And Christ is going to come back and interrupt that when it gets to its worst point. And how much worse could it get than it is right now? So therefore, they don't really have to do much with the improvement of the world. It's, it's kind of like they would say, why polish the brass on the Titanic? The, the dude's going down. You know, well, I sit around, polish the bread, we're just going to see you. You know, I'm not going to do much to improve the world. What I'll do is a lot of evangelism. You know, the reason my kids play Little League is so that I can tell people about Christ. Everything centers around calling people into the church that will last forever. All right, second uh, one. The post-millennials, that is, that, that we are... Um, we are in the thousand-year symbolic time right now. That, that, that the reign of Christ happens in a spiritual sense in this world. And that Christ has given us a mandate, and the mandate is to spread the gospel and Christianize the world. These people say, essentially, no, e- evil is getting less and good is increasing. We're winning the battle. They're saying as we evangelize and thousands and thousands are converted to Christ, that comes closer to his literal coming. At the end of that time, that Christ will come after, as it says in Matthew 24, after the gospel has been preached to all of the nations. And that's our mandate right now. Go out and, and, and Christianize the culture. And so the characteristics of these people is that they are progress-oriented, they are optimistic about the, the, the church and about the power of the gospel and about, about the effect uh, of the power of the Holy Spirit to convert the world, and they are involved in cultural innovation. Boy, these, these people want to go out and, 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 and convert the world. I mean, literally convert the institutions of the world to come under the reign of Christ. Now, the amillennialists are people that uh, that would say, or the present uh, uh, millennialists, would say, ah means without, would say there's, there's really no scriptural basis for a, a theory of a, a special reign of Christ uh, different than what we have right now. They would say, look, Satan was beaten at the cross. And this little bit were at the end, and, and so he was confined and bound at that time. 
And, and, and what we're experiencing right now is this just little tail flapping at the end, right before God does away with them altogether. They would say, look, when God comes, he comes. There's not going to be this, well, he comes and reigns for a while, and then Satan's let loose again, and then, he, you know, he said, when he comes, that's it, that's heaven. Um, their um, um, uh, characteristic is to be constructive in the present age to manifest Christ. They're optimistic about the gathering of the church. They're pessimistic about the world. One of the, these are the folks that that would illustrate their position by the wheat and the tares. That as the world matures, the good will become more evident and the bad will become more evident. The good and the bad grow together, and the nature is shown of those two. They don't have uh, any great hope about having any great effect for the people in the world that are lost. Uh, you know, the lost is lost, and it will become more evident. Uh, but they don't abandon their job either. They still do their job in the culture. It's, it's kind of like we were talking before we came out here last, last year when we, when we lit one of these Advent candles. Uh, there was a styrofoam cup, and it caught on fire. It, it was hilarious, and, and of course everybody's running to get. You know, Tommy's running for water, and he's going to throw the water on the thing, and, and, the, and, the, and the family's standing up there. They don't know what to do, and there's this woman who's reading scripture, and everybody's running around. The smoke's going up, the fire's going up, and she just keeps on reading scripture. <laughs> that was her job. She was doing her job. I mean, the whole church could have burned down. She'd have been there reading scripture. Well, that's the position of all people. You know, hey, the world's going to hell, but I, my job's reading scripture. You know, that's what I'm going to do. So they just keep doing their job. So anyhow, what what I want us to notice is that is that I believe God God allows all of these because all of them have something to contribute. Uh, the question to, to ask is always, what positive complementary attribute can be taken from everything? Now. Show the next slide, Chris. We've got to go rather speedily through this or I won't get through the whole message. One of the things that we've got to, we've got to really appreciate Primo folks for is their sense of anticipation. Post, you can imagine if you think if, if the Christ isn't coming again until the world gets straight, post-mill people don't really worry about Christ coming soon. So they're really not looking for him, you know. But, but, the, but the Bible says the opposite. says we're always to look for Christ. We're always to expect Christ. Live as if we expect Christ. Well, these pre-mill folks, even though they're disgusted with the world, are, are really good at helping us to, to remember to anticipate Christ. Christ could come at any time. They're the ones that are saying, he's right around the corner. And that adds, I think, a reminder to all of us to live as if Christ were coming in five minutes. That's not a bad way to live. Okay, uh, the, the post-mill folks add effort. You know, if these guys are out there saying, come on, let's fix this world for Jesus, you know, so that when he comes, he's got something to look at that he's pleased with, you know. When Christ comes on earth, will he find faith, the Bible says. Well, well, these are folks that just really want to go out and make a difference. And, 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 and in their efforts, uh, usher the time of Christ closer and closer. And the ah-mill folks have this sense of finality. Now, I like all my folks. They categorize everything. They categorize everything. This is a, these are uh, Reformation folks. This is folks like, uh, um, well, both post-mill and all-mill folks claim St. Augustine as one of their own. But, uh, but all-mill folks uh, uh, are people like uh, uh, Burkhoff and, and uh, I'm just, you probably wouldn't recognize any of these names. Anyhow, they, they categorize everything, you know. This is this, and this is this, and this is this. Yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, they're so organized, you know. So there's this sense of the sovereignty and the finality of God. This isn't a coin toss. 
This isn't a coin toss. God's got this thing under tow. Okay, turn those things off and let me just talk for a little bit. What are we to learn when we look at the coming of the kingdom in all of its fullness? Here's what you need to keep in mind. Here's what these two chapters, as you read them, can teach you and will teach you. First of all, the battle is already won. You're in a few skirmishes right now. You're not in the battle. The battle's been won by Christ. Every time we look at this thing, you saw last week the battle of Armageddon, how everybody, how everybody lined up. Um, and this is uh, the 16th chapter. And these, all these armies line up. And they're about ready to fight. And the word comes, it is done. What? Where was the battle? <laughs> 2,000 years ago. Those were the words of Christ on the cross. It is finished. I want it. I want you to know that. Same thing happens again and again in the, in the 19th and 20th chapters. In, 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 in verse ni- or in 19, 19, it says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. In other words, against Christ. And then it says, the beast was seized and the false prophets Thrown, or a false prophet thrown into the lake of fire which burn, burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword that came out of his mouth. Period. Where's the battle? Been won. It's not there. Look at, verse, look at chapter 20. Verse 9. It says, And they came up on the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp. This is the armies of Gog and Magog. Surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. You're looking for this big battle. It's almost ready to happen. The saints are getting creamed. Look what it says. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. No battle. <laughs> the battle's been won. What you're going through right now are skirmishes. The battle's been won. If you're in Christ, you have already won. You are a winner. Now you need to know this because your life needs to be interrupted with this flood of mercy and grace and love from God. You need that every day because those negative Satanic accusations are against, coming against you every day. And if people aren't saying themselves, or saying those about you, you're, you're telling yourselves that about yourselves. You need just the opposite. You need to remember who you are so you can live like who you are. So that even when the negative stuff comes, you know that, that it's not condemning like it sounds. I heard a story about a captain who had just taken over the command of a ship, big destroyer. He was up there lecturing his men. No, men, and and this ensign comes up with a with a message from the admiral. It says, Captain, you just got a message from the admiral. He's saying, Oh, message from the admiral. Got a message from the admiral. Read that out loud, ensign. Uh, the ensign says, I, I I I think you just want to read this person. No, no, no. It's a message from the admiral, man. Uh, go ahead and read it out loud. And so, okay. Of all the stupid, (laughs) blundering, ignoramuses, you take the prize. Captain never paused. Very good. Have that decoded and brought back to me at once. Look, I want you to know, when you, get these, when you get these messages, even when you give them to yourself, I'm so stupid, I'm an ignoramus, I'm a moron, you know? That's either coming from the other side and a lie, or it's in code. 
and, and what you need is to break down the code, you know, because when God gives you a corrective, it's always positive, it's always specific, it's always encouraging. That's the nature of God, you see? So break down the code. If you made a mistake, just say, okay, this is what I need to do next time. Don't accept all that negative stuff. That's from the other side. It's important that you understand that your performance is not determinative. You've already won. That's important. I went to a recital the other night. Oh, I can't tell you about that. I, <laughs> oh, it, never mind. It, I, well, I, I so, I, I'll tell you just a little. I, it was so cute. I think, holy cow, how could anybody get up and sing to people? And here are these people, they're, they're Eleanor students, and they're getting up and they're singing in front of all these people. I couldn't do that. You think, preaching doesn't take any. Anybody can preach. You know why? Because you get up here and you talk, and if you make a mistake, you stop. You say, oh, wait a minute, I didn't mean that like that. I meant like this. Well, that, no, that's not right. And you keep going until you get it right. Or if you lose a word, you say, what word am I looking for? And, and everybody, everybody says, you're, you're looking for it. And I say, oh, yeah, that's it. You know, it doesn't. Anybody can do this. Anybody can do this. But to sing, you can't do that when you're singing. You can't go, Ugh. oh, wait a minute, I didn't mean that. Let's start that. You can't do that. If this goes on, time goes on. And I'm thinking, the nerve of these people to get up. How could you do that? I'm sweating bullets for them. You know what? It was like a revival me. Every one of those people, except for three, and I knew those three in all of their, their lives, are, are just so solid with Christ. Every one of them were singing gospel songs, you know? And I'm thinking, this isn't about performance. They've already won. You know, there's varying degrees of, of, of how well they do in this little performance. doesn't matter. They've already won. The crowd's already with them. The battle's already won, see? So it was just a great time. It was like revival. That's what life needs to be when you realize you've already won. So, so you can, your performance can be good or bad or, 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 or mediocre, but that doesn't, that's not what really finally counts. And the second thing I want to tell you, and I'll close with this. This says there's a new world coming. New world. And, and you can prepare for that. As a matter of fact, you don't need to wait to get there to live like that. Hamilton, uh, J. Wallace Hamilton, someone said, what if we would dis- discover a theory of Albert Einstein that said, in five years there's going to be a cosmological arrangement in the universe such that that causes a subatomic chain reaction in the chemical nature of our world so that every one of our bodies are changed instantly into something that doesn't need anything that was of value before. Your bodies don't need food, they don't need clothing, they don't need shelter, they don't need, they don't need education, they don't need, they don't need transportation, they don't need anything that was of value before. He says, the only thing in this hypothetical, the only thing that really will count will be, uh, you fill in the blank, you know. Um, um, the only thing that will count will be uh, oranges, you know. Now, he says, when most people would hear that, they would say, Five years, man, that's plenty of time. I'm just going to keep on living like I'm living. Or they don't know what they're talking about. But some people would say, look, if the only thing that's going to be of any value in the future is oranges, I'm going to put all my stuff into oranges. (laughs) Well, I want to tell you something more certain than that. There is a whole new world coming, and every one of you people who are in Christ are going to be in that world. 
And I want to tell you that nothing that you've worked for in this world is going to count in that one. It's not going to be of any value. There's going to be one thing that's of value in that world. And that's your love of Christ. And your love of others who are in Christ. Now let me ask you this question. Where are you going to invest the rest of your life? That world could come tomorrow. The world could come in five years. It may not come in in over 50 years for you, but it will come. And that's where you'll spend eternity. These chapters say, invest in that world. Invest in that world. Pray with me. God, help us to turn the corner this morning and to imagine that world. What it would be like where... Your love and grace are so evident and you are so manifest and the evil is so absent. It's just not anywhere to be seen. Imagine. Help us to imagine what that would be. Father, if there's anybody here this morning who says, I've been living in this world, but I want to live in that one. I've been living my own life, but I want to live the life of Christ. Let them this morning just give their hearts to Christ. Just say, Christ, come in. Take my life and let it be a credit to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What will we hear in the thunderous roar When you silence the voice Always pushing for more When illusions are gone with the evil one Imagine with me How it will be Oh, what will we see When truth has its day And what will we know When you call out name when the millions deceived and all who believe cry out now I see now I see there is a time with no wondering why and nobody raises his fist to the sky And illusions are gone with the evil one Imagine with me how it will be Oh, what will we see when truth has its day What will we know when you call out each name When the millions deceived And all who believe cry out Now I see
song's only about three days old. Take that song, take that message and begin to turn your heart toward heaven. Toward that time when Christ will come in all of its fullness and begin living as if you were in that place. Please stand. May the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you now and take you to that place. Amen.